You're listening to Across the Table, a healthcare private equity podcast brought to you by McGuire Woods. Across the Table brings you inside the conversation with the specialists and professionals of the healthcare private equity industry. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Across the Table, where we talk with key dealmakers and operations teams in the M&A space, specifically focusing on private equity-backed companies. My name is Alyssa Campbell, and I'm a partner in McGuire Woods' corporate and private equity department. Today, I'm excited to host Colin McDermott, Managing Director, and Savannah Ganyard, Manager, both of VMG Health. Colin, Savannah, thank you so much for joining us. We're delighted to have you on the podcast. If you could start with introducing yourself to our listeners and a bit about your background. Savannah, would you like to go first? Sure. Happy to. And thank you for having us on the podcast today. As you mentioned, my name is Savannah Ganyard, and I'm a manager at BMD Health in our business valuation services division. I'm based in the Dallas office. I focus day-to-day on providing financial valuation and transaction advisory services for businesses within the health services industry. Perfect. And yes, thanks for having us. Uh, Colin McDermott, Managing Director in our Valuation and Transaction Advisory Services Group. Like Savannah, I sit in Dallas, Texas, and I live my life helping uh, clients acquire small businesses and perform valuations, everything from physician practices to acute care hospitals and all the ancillary services that sit between those. Well, great to have you both here today. And today we're going to talk a little bit about what we saw coming out of the public company earnings reports for some major players in the healthcare space. Uh, we're recording our episode in mid-March, so we've, we're just a few weeks out from seeing these reports. And so in addition to talking about what we saw specifically in those earnings reports, We'll talk a little bit about what we think that'll mean for private markets and the deployment of capital in the healthcare private equity space. So let's start with an overview. Colin, Savannah, what key observations did you take away from some of these earnings reports? Sure. And as a a little background, BMG has um, always followed the publicly traded healthcare operators in order to provide our clients with the highest level of expertise in the healthcare industry. So each quarter, we actually We followed 23 companies. We produced a one-page high-level earnings summary coupled with interesting quotes on major operational themes. And historically, this was an internal source in VMG, but late last year, we made it publicly available to all of our clients just because we found that there was a lot of interest in our private clients seeing what the public companies were doing, especially during COVID. So we saw a lot of value in our clients, and which is why we're talking about it today. So I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Colin, and then we can hop into what we saw this quarter. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. And while we're here talking about public companies, there really is a parallel between what we're seeing in the public sector to what uh, folks will experience in the private sector. Just the good news is about the public sector is uh, there's a lot of news and the market reacts quickly to that news. So we can observe price and valuation, et cetera, from uh, new information. So this quarter overview of the 23 companies that we followed for the year, 15 had positive revenue surprises and 12 had positive EBITDA surprises. So kind of in the middle, which I think is common, we didn't see a lot of major swings this first quarter, like we've seen in some of the past quarters, especially when we look at valuation multiples and changes in EBITDA over the past year, the multiples have remained flat, if not down a little bit, and EBITDA 
has um, decreased across the board slightly, at least for half of the companies that we follow. So this quarter, no major trend across the industry, a lot of more company specific and industry specific items that we can get into. Yeah. And what's what's nice about the public markets is there are equity analysts that follow these companies and those equity analysts publish their consensus revenue, EBITDA, EPS estimates, and we could observe enterprise value, right? Just by looking at stock price and, and debt balances. And so what Savannah is describing is really our ability to kind of break down public market valuations into two components. The, the underlying financial metric, which for us, we're really looking at forward consensus EBITDA, and then, and then the ultimate uh, multiple as implied by the market on that. And so Savannah indicated, we really have seen very little pressure on average across this portfolio companies, maybe about a half a turn on the multiple. And then, and then on the, but it's on the EBITDA, consensus EBITDA is really kind of come down over time. And all of us are aware of labor pressures that we're seeing in post-acute labor pressures for the acute care industry. And that's really being reflected in these, uh, the guidance and the analyst consensus. And so, Colin, Savannah, how do you expect that that's going to flow through to deal prices in private markets as well, or in the deployment of capital by these public companies who who invest in in the private market? I mean, I have United on my mind and their investments through through SCA, um, lots of large or publicly traded health systems are are doing ASC investment across the board. They're looking at being a strategic buyer for platform exits. Are we far enough into an analysis to see this flow down into pricing at the deal level? I think that there was some interesting commentary this earnings season on valuation. One quote that I found particularly interesting was Acadia's CEO, he said that he feels that there's some confidence that valuations are slightly softening um, as we're heading here into the new year. And then some of the other post-acute operators made um, similar comments, especially given those pressures that Colin mentioned, labor, staffing, supplies. It seems like those have really hit some of the smaller operators. So we've seen a lot of um, the companies that we follow mentioning targeting that they're going to target smaller companies, smaller deals versus what we've maybe seen over the past couple of years in terms of mega deals. So lots of commentary on that specifically, especially in the post-acute sector. I don't know if you have anything to add to the post-acute sector, Colin. Yeah, just a couple of things I think about are what the multiple is for these companies that we could observe in the public markets and a transaction that's not dilutive to their overall equity price. So if, as we see multiples trend down in the public sector, even slightly, that's gonna compress what they're willing to pay uh, for private companies, uh, realistically. And additionally, we're seeing a lot of uh, other uses of capital. So a public company could pay a dividend, they could invest in their core markets, they could do a share repurchase, they can make an acquisition. And we're seeing many of these companies decide to do share repurchases maybe implying that they think that they're undervalued. And you also mentioned, Alyssa, um, on the ambulatory strategy. This is one that Colin and I follow closely. We think it's really interesting. We are always excited to see tenants' earnings release in their presentation, and we notice 
that this quarter they had increased USPI disclosures, which we thought was interesting, showing their excitement um, for that segment of their business. Both USPI and surgery partners each plan to deploy $250 million in capital over the next year for surgery center acquisitions, de novo investments. So we thought that that was a really great find for that market. Um, especially they seem to really be focused on the high acuity cases as they look at what kind of investments they want to make, especially orthopedic, total joints as those move to the outpatient setting. And then surgery partners talked quite a bit about expecting a similar transition for cardiac procedures. So in terms of that space, that seems to be what most people or the public operators are really excited about and looking for work to over the next coming year. Yeah, both of those operators focused on orthopedics, which makes sense. Sure. I think that there's been a excitement in the potential for orthopedic investment that has probably outsized the actual investment in that sector over the last, you know, let's say five years or so. And I think that the actual investment seems to starting it's getting closer to lining up with the level of excitement that we're seeing from investors into that space. I'm also seeing that the deployment of capital into these public companies uh, or their focus on deploying capital through their ASC acquisition you know, subsidiaries is driving a focus on joint venturing existing ASCs between private equity funds and their employed or affiliated physicians so that there's still an opportunity for deals to be made, even if the physician practice space is cooling down a little bit. Would you all agree with that sentiment? We would definitely agree with that sentiment. I think the perfect example of that was USPI's joint venture with United Urology that closed last year. I think that's a a great example of what you're talking about there and definitely a great outlet as the physician practice, if the physician practice market cools down, there's a lot of opportunity there. And I know surgery partners in one of their Q&As, they talked about being able to be a good partner for people wanting to be in the ASC space and their ability to manage it and get a return on value from day one. So even maybe seeing some posturing there with regards to that. In your day-to-day work, are you seeing that the... um the earnings reports and the pressure being put on EBITDA is resulting in a sort of reverse pressure on your firm from the stakeholders of the entities that you're valuing to drive you towards maybe pre-2023 valuations. Have have you found that it's it's been difficult to navigate that environment from a VMG perspective? I'll start, Savannah. I um I think there's definitely folks are looking at how they use their capital and and being very cautious with investment and wanting to pay the right price. The the problem is with the with the private transactions, we tend to see uh, pricing uh, changes reflected more slowly. And so you've got sellers that still want to live in one world, but then buyers that want to be prudent and know capital's tight. And so I, I think we're definitely feeling a little bit of that where we're hearing kind of two sides and two perspectives with a little bit less data to kind of support either either party's position. I agree with you, Colin. I have found that over the last, say, 
six months, the buyers are moving more quickly towards resetting their purchase prices to align with what they're seeing as the market, which may be more like the market that we saw before interest rates dropped and the availability of debt skyrocketed. And the sellers have been much slower to come around to that reality. And it's resulting in either an unwillingness to sell or a kind of broken deals when when purchase prices are required to be reset. And I think it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the year sort of plays out if some of those sellers will come back to market and decide that ultimately the, the lower purchase price is still worth transacting at so that they can pass off a lot of the management of their practice and, you know, start looking towards their ten- their own tenure plan. Or um, if they're going to kind of, you know, hold on, you know, assuming that they're not looking at retirement today to see if multiples come back up. Yeah. It were, when you, as you talk, I think about the recent CVS Oak Street transaction. And I, I know that there has been, I believe there's been pressure on multiples and folks trying to be smart in the primary care space. And then you have CVS, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so, um, but I guess not everybody could exit to CVS. What you're pointing out is a, a critique I've heard from, from frustrated clients as well, who are sometimes losing out on bids that there are certain players who are still willing to drive up multiples to achieve a result other than a return on investment, maybe, um, you know, capturing a particular market or, you know, uh, advancing some other strategic initiative, whereas not every buyer has that luxury. And it's it's upsetting the dynamics in a lot of spaces. Agreed. Mm-hmm. So anything else interesting that y'all would like to cover today? Um, I think that we've done a really good job putting an overview on on what we saw pre-earnings reports, what we heard in the earnings reports, and sort of how we're expecting things to continue. And I would love to hear a bit as to whether you view today's climate as a return to the typical healthcare acquisition climate of the late 20-teens, or whether you think that we are entering a new era post-pandemic. Yes, I would say just in terms of overall, the public companies have been super interesting for us to follow. Like I mentioned, we've always had our eye on them. But during COVID, when there was so much uncertainty in the industry, we found a lot of value in following the public operators and their commentary in terms of trying to get an idea for what's going to happen next. Um, With regards to your comment about whether it's a return to normal or a new normal, from what I've gathered from reading, it seems to be a new normal There's still, with the labor issues and even some of the outpatient volumes, I think USPI commented on kind of starting here, going into a new normal and addressing the future that way. I think that would be my perspective from my understanding of the public companies. I think it matters by what sector you're looking at a little bit. So if we pick on the post-acute sector that I think has felt labor pressures more and even the acute care sector, some of the outpatient space, pricing lags in, in healthcare, whether it's reimbursement from CMS or it's from the managed care side. So I'll be curious as we, we get 12 months down the road or 24 months down the road, 
where we have felt pricing pressures in some some of these segments, how, how do we return to kind of pre-pandemic margins given the increase in, recent increase in labor? So that's like something that I'm watching, just like the the, the profitability of these businesses. And then, um, you know, to talk a little bit about the acute care sector, Savannah mentioned uh, cardiac procedures and and total joint and orthopedics. Well, that's leaving a hospital-based setting. And so if you were to look at volumes in 2019 at a hospital, likely those those kinds of procedures sit within their, you know, their their composition of volume at their hospital. And today the, those volumes are at the ASC. And so I think when you think about those procedures leaving a hospital-based setting, it you'd have to think about this being the new normal. I think too, one other item that maybe has changed or been more predominant over the past couple of years was the entrance or increase of value-based care. So now we see a lot of the public operators trying to see how they fit into that picture as well. I know Acadia most recently talked about on their earnings call, this increase in investment in technology that they're planning to make to prepare themselves to um, eventually support the value-based care space or any partners in this space. So we've definitely seen public operators start to comment on that industry trend um, and how they might play a part in that as well. I think it's important to think about as well. I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out as well. I started my healthcare M&A investing career in Northeastern Wisconsin, where value-based care was maybe ahead of the game because a lot of a lot of the industrial plants were self-insuring and were able to partner with regional ASCs to offer uh, value-based care contracting models for uh, like repetitive injuries or common repetitive motion injuries. I'm interested to see how that will move from markets where the procedure can be uh, easily normalized and, and repeated patient to patient to markets where ASCs can use things like uh, new technologies to apply value-based care models to a broader array of injuries. Especially to that, I know Surgery Partners have their partnership with Privia in Montana. So to your point about that in the ASC space, definitely something to keep an eye on. Yeah. Well, it'll be an interesting year ahead. Thank you both again so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to have you on today. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much. We enjoyed it. We appreciate you joining us on this episode of Across the Table. To learn more about today's discussion or to contact us, please visit our website at mcguirewoods.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This podcast was recorded and is being made available by McGuire Woods for informational purposes only. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that McGuire Woods makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in the podcast. The views, information, or opinions expressed during this podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily reflect those of McGuire Woods. This podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state and should not be construed as an offer to make or consider any investment or course of action.